0: Were the bullies in the 1980s easier to defeat? We'll find out right after you paint the fence.
1: Once
2: again, it's time for The Idiots. An objective defense of the 80s from a couple of idiots.
0: Welcome to another episode of The Idiots. An objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. I'm one of those idiots. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my magnificent, fantastic friend Ray. Oh wait, and he's also my co-host,
2: Ray. Oh, that was that was fun. See, entertaining.
0: You're, I, I forget that you're also a co-host. I think of you so first and foremost as my friend.
2: Yeah, I appreciate so, that. You uh, how's your day going today? It's going well. Later, we're going to be talking to
0: Dave Tomar about the topic of bullying in pop culture in the 80s. And in reality, in the 80s, as compared to today. So this is going to be a very special
2: 80s. Just like the after school special?
0: Yes. It, or it's just like, remember that episode of Different Strokes where someone assaulted Arnold or Dudley? Oh,
2: yeah. That creepy guy from the... Uh, the, the, the yes. Uh, what was that guy's name? His
0: name, was, wasn't it Gordon Jump? Was the actor's name. Oh. And he was on another show where he, he wasn't a pedophile. He was <laughs> it was a funny show. Come on, we we should know. Now yeah, I this
2: we up. should know this stuff. I got I got to look up Gordon Jump
0: cuz I, I remember it was it was He tri-
2: kind of the guy looks like Jonathan Winters. Yes.
0: <sighs> he is a Jonathan Winters type. Okay, so Gordon Jump. Oh, goodness sake. He was on WKRP. Oh, it's um it's the boss. It's the big
2: guy. Yes, isn't it? right. He was the Yes. Yeah. Hey, I was close enough. He they the, they look identical.
0: He was uh, Arthur Carlson in WKRP. Yeah,
2: that's a great show.
0: According to this, he was in a bunch of other shows too as well, but um, he was. I'm not misremembering that, right? Before he, before <laughs> he malign the memory of, of Gordon Jump. Oh, here we go. Different Strokes. He was on a, part, a two-part episode, Mr. Horton, The Bicycle Man. Ah,
2: uh, yeah, that's
0: him. Oh, and even see, there's an image of him here from that Different Strokes episode that just gives me the chills because I think he's mm. helping Arnold learn to ride a bike or something. And the description on IMDb is Arnold and Dudley become friends with the owner of a local bicycle shop named Henry, unaware that he is a pedophile looking for his next victim. (laughs) And now I realize that I took a bully episode that I was already worried about making too serious and made it dark. (laughs) I made it darker. What does this have to do with bullying? It has everything to do with bullying, Uh, the power dynamics uh, and so on. But but I, I only bring that up to point out that this is going to be a very special episode. Uh, do we have this anymore today? That where you take a show that it seemed like a trope in the 80s where you have a comedy, it's clearly a comedy, and then they do a a very special different strokes. You know, they had those very,
2: where it's going to take a darker... Yes, yes. um, More serious Family Ties did that too. They did. What was their, you remember what their... I think uh, something about, the heck was it? Drugs? Hmm. Trying to stay awake. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, like
0: Alex was trying to stay awake studying because he was such a good student and all that? Right.
2: So he ends up taking a bunch of drugs. Know, I'm going to have to look that up too. Not right now, but...
0: So, <laughs> so in any case, our usual lighter fare may be a little more serious today when I play the interview I had with Dave Tomar earlier today. Well, first, 80s news. So a couple of interesting bits of 80s news that I wanted to talk with you about that, of course, are something related to 80s culture that is happening right now today. Uh, just a few hours ago, the Top Gun trailer for the sequel to Top Gun, called Top Gun Maverick, came out. Did you get a chance to watch it?
2: I, I did watch it, and it actually looks like it's going to be really good. Yeah. I was not expecting the trailer to be good. I was expecting it to be hokey, but I'm actually uh, thinking this is going to be good. It seemed, you know, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, that it
0: seems the trailer look makes it look like an 80s film. I had heard, I thought that the sequel was going to focus more on the fact that Maverick was being replaced and pilots were being replaced by drones and drone pilots who don't even enter the country that we're, you know, at war with or you know having a, some kind of skirmish with. Um, but from the trailer, it looks like very much like the original film. Do you think?
2: Uh, I, well, I think I got a, the impression that they were trying to t- tell him that, um, hey, your days are numbered, there, Maverick, and you're buzzing the tower. Shit's about to be over, and because we got drones now. And he, you know, in the trailer, he's like, yeah, that ain't happening today. He's such though. a
0: Maverick, yeah. oh Maverick. Do you, uh, I, I thought that Tom Skerritt was going to be back, um, but I noticed he's not in the trailer and I don't even see him listed on the, in the credits um, in IMDb. Now, of course, we know that Val Kilmer is going to be back. Do you remember who Val Kilmer played? Iceman? Iceman, yeah. <laughs> I got, I got, one, got right one right for a yeah. change. Nice. Iceman. So um, I, I'd be curious how they're going to work work him into it, but... Other than that, is a bunch of new, young, young, fresh Hollywood faces.
2: That would be my guess, because Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise are probably eating the budget up on oh. payroll on this So one, maybe
0: so. maybe they said to Tom Cruise, you know, we can only pay you a percentage of your budget, and so what they do is kill him off in the first five or ten minutes.
2: There's no way he's letting Maverick get like, killed um,
0: Like Kurt Russell in Executive <laughs> Decision. Do You
2: remember that? <laughs>
0: yeah. It turns out it was a Steven Seagal movie.
2: Huh. Did who we know that? Kn- I don't who would have
0: know. known? That would be awesome. Well, in a sense, it would be awesome. It would it would really be terrible. <laughs> the movie would probably suck, but but then the rest of it is just about drones and Miles Teller operating a drone. And Harris wasn't in the original movie, right? He, but he's in the trailer.
2: Um, you know, it's been a while. I, I remember the volleyball scene mostly and oh yeah, a lot of need for speed stuff and mm-hmm. a lot of good looking guys smiling, wearing sunglasses. That's yeah. mostly what I remember about Top Gun.
0: Yeah, in the trailer... There are some moments that are. I was thinking the Jets are reminiscent of the original movie, but they have that one scene, it seems like, in the bar, in the trailer that I swore might have been, you know, uh, Anthony Edwards, you know, that scene where they're singing in the bar, um, you've lost that loving feeling. Yeah,
2: that, that scene right there in the trailer looked like it was a, a flashback or something
0: almost. Yeah, but I think it was a new character. So again, it seems like they're really trying to say, hey, we know it's 30 years later, but, you know, we still want uh, the middle-aged folks who love the original to come and watch this.
2: Yeah, I think that, that scene right there, he's going to do the old throwback, hey, let me show you how to pick up the ladies. <laughs> and then his, and then other guys are
0: going to sh- introduce him to Tinder.
2: Uh, yeah, or they're going to go over to the jukebox and actually play something modern and do some, like, you know, real rapping or whatever, and yeah, he's just going to go sit rapping. in the corner by himself like yeah, the, a sad old man.
0: Yeah, the new update will be them singing Drake. Yeah, something like that. I would say what a Drake song is, but I can't.
2: I don't know what those are. I have no idea. I just know he loves the Toronto Raptors.
0: I even had a pause before I said Tinder because I was trying to remember what it was called. <laughs> but in any case, yeah. So we'll see. That's not coming out till next year. The other bit of '80s news that I thought would be interesting to touch base on is just an update on our our uh, much looked forward to Back to the Future musical.
2: Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was pausing for some <laughs> enthusiastic response. So just a few days ago, we got um, a clip released on the internet of the actor who will be playing the uh, Marty McFly character, whose name is Ollie something? Ollie, Ollie Dobson. So Ollie Dobson, yeah. So, okay, there's a clip of Ollie Dobson who's going to be playing the role of Marty. There's a clip of him singing in the studio one of the new songs from the musical. So we are told, I believe, that songs that are featured in the movie will be in the musical, turned into some sort of musical version, so we're hoping, you know, we got a few Huey Lewis songs in there. Um, Johnny Be Good, I'm sure, will be in there. But they needed to write a lot of other songs because there's not enough to, obviously, tell the story of Back to the Future. So here is one of them. I wanted to get your impression of what you thought about this new song from the musical, which was written by Alan Silvestri, who, again, composed the uh, score for the movie, and he co-wrote it with a gentleman who is a... uh, longtime musical uh, lyricist himself Glenn Ballard uh, who wrote on who worked on ghost and jagged little pill for example but anyway here's a clip of Ollie Dobson singing a new Marty McFly song
1: when you-
2: Really impressed with this one. So the um, <laughs> it's it's not doing the the Marty McFly vibe of. Yeah. I, I assume that's when he's talking to George about how to yeah pick up women. It does
0: seem that way. Now you didn't make it to the course even, but
2: I don't need to. Uh, you're because right it, though. It should have been more because it, if that's the scene I'm thinking of, he's like, yes, damn it, you need to swear, George. Right. So it needed to be a better song. Get Huey Lewis on the phone. He should write the whole thing. Yeah. I, in my opinion.
0: I agree. I'm surprised that he wasn't more involved. You know, we've got so many uh, jukebox music, jukebox musicals, as they're called, where they just turn some musicals, acts, songs into a story. Yeah, why not? Why not have Huey Lewis just be involved? But maybe they did ask him. Maybe, what, maybe he wasn't interested Should in his y- defense.
2: Y- you throw more money at him. That's how you get people. Right. Huey, pile of money. That's how you get Tom Cruise to die in the first 10 minutes of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, That's how you get Harrison Ford to do movies. Yeah. Hey, you want to be Han Solo again? No. Here's a pile of money. All right, I'll think about it.
0: And all right, so, you know, I'm still remaining optimistic, cautiously optimistic about this musical only because I love Back to the Future. And again, like we talked about a few episodes ago, so many of the original folks are involved that um, of the original creators, it's maybe they know better than we do. And, and, And also these things change. You know?
2: I will reserve my judgment for once I've seen it. Yeah, I'm not going to completely bash someone when I haven't seen the final product. Yeah, but once I see it,
0: <laughs> that's it.
2: It better <laughs> the be verdict good. Comes down. The hammer swings, and they may sing this in front of a live audience at some
0: point during some kind of uh, preview, or you know, and then they determine this. This isn't it. This isn't the song, and they rewrite it. They can do that? yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, um you know, this is just one example, but Lin-Manuel Miranda was famous for rewriting things, you know, like per show sometimes, you know, change oh, I thought of a better line for this thing. You know, sometimes not only for his character, for someone else, you know, and so then they now have to sing another line that day. I don't know if they remembered it,
2: but... I wonder if he ever got mad that they didn't do it the way he said, like, you know, I told you to change it. Uh, I-, I warned you. <laughs>
0: he doesn't seem like the type. You know, what's uh, what was it's a funny clip to look up is he recently, I think it's done now. I imagine it's done now. He recently uh, reprised his role as Hamilton in the premiere of the play in Puerto Rico. It was just, uh, I think it was a month or two ago. But in order to do that, he had to remember the lines. So there's a video of him like, you know, filming himself on subways and different places, like trying to sing the song as he's listening and he's totally screwing it up. <laughs> and he knows it and, he, you know,
2: makes fun of himself for it.
0: Anyway, anything else for about uh, Back to the Future, the musical?
2: I'm warning you people, this better be good, <laughs> or the hammer is going to swing. The hammer.
0: And if Ray says it's bad, that's it. All the f- folks that love 80s stuff are going to stay home.
2: They won't, but... No.
0: yeah. All right, so that was 80s news. So as I mentioned, in a moment, you're going to hear my interview with Dave Tomar of thebestschools.org. What drew me to Dave is that he wrote an article about bullying in which he discusses... Uh, 80s films and he uses the films and the tropes and the archetypes of bullies in those films in an interesting and helpful way so he was the perfect person to talk to about uh, bullying in 1980s pop culture so when you and i decided to talk about karate kid and cobra kai dave seemed like the perfect candidate to talk to and as you'll hear in a little bit he, he was so karate kid came out 35 years ago in june on june 22nd 1984 i was 13 years old i'm guessing you were 12
2: well, let's see. Unless uh, you don't want to say, I was born in seventy two, so that makes me. You have
0: to do the math every time. Yeah, you're just a year, you're a year younger. Oh no than no I no! Am. See, i that...
2: No, see, I leave it up to the audience to do the math. Okay, I just I'm going to tell okay. you when my birthday was, and then you can do the math yourself.
0: And slowly, let's have you say one digit of your social security number after, <laughs> in random order over different episodes. I'll,
2: I'll give you a bunch of them. Okay, eight six seven five right, three zero nine. All right, hang on.
0: Of course, everybody knows it starred Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, and Elizabeth Shue, among other folks. Uh, It was written—I'm just going to give you some details. And some of these I found, I I didn't realize or remember. Oh, yeah? Maybe you you probably know already, because you remember these things. But it was written by Robert Mark Keeman. And of interest to me, and to us, I thought was, he also co-wrote Gladiator.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good movie.
0: He wrote The Other Karate Kids 2 and 3. He wrote Lethal Weapon 3. He co-wrote with Luc Besson— uh, the Professional, The Fifth Element, Transporters 1, 2, and 3, and, tra- and Taken 1, 2, and 3. So this is a guy who I thought, you know, maybe he wrote Karate Kid. We never heard from him again, but he wrote a lot of movies that I like.
2: Well, yeah, if he's got The Fifth Element in there, he get, he gets kudos. So he, he's a legitimate writer of movies. So, yeah.
0: yeah. And he also wrote a movie called The Power of One, which was also directed by the same director uh, of Karate Kid, John Avildsen. And what I had forgotten and only remembered after I read it on Wikipedia earlier today was that John Avelton also directed Rocky, which is,
2: why is that funny? <laughs> is it the way I said it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just don't know how that pertains to the karate kid. Very well. well, if you think about it, I mean,
0: it's a similar story in a sense. A guy who is not expected to win some kind of big championship, who doesn't really have a shot, ultimately trains to compete and, And the Karate Kid, he barely wins. Actually, technically he doesn't win because he shouldn't have kicked him in the face. I don't know how he got that point. But Rocky doesn't win, right? Spoiler Uh, alert.
2: Well, well, technically, um, Over the Top is the same story as Karate Kid, too.
0: You know, and probably most of these stories Mark Kamen wrote are. Is he glad either, you (laughs) know? Fifth Element, yeah, sort of. All the transporters take it. Yeah. Now, uh, at the time, the movie grossed $90 million. And when it adjusted for inflation, the Karate Kid... Gross was $243 million. So that's, by today's standards, that's even pretty good, right? I think.
2: I would assume so. Unless you're a Marvel movie, then that's weak. Yeah. You're you're not getting a sequel. Yeah. No, you're getting fired for that
0: one. So, okay. Let me just take a step back. Since we're going to be talking about bullying anyway,
2: what did, were you, do you recall having been bullied or were you a bully? I was very small, but as part of my upbringing, I was taught to fight and defend myself, and I do not lack for self-confidence or a big mouth, and anytime anybody wanted to bully me or fight me, I defended myself, and I I fought quite a bit. When you're small, you end up fighting fighting. because the bullies in the 80s, they come at the smallest ones first.
0: And you had brothers, so how did having brothers prepare you for bullies?
2: Well, I'm the oldest brother. Okay. So I was also- You you train the others. (laughs) I'm actually fighting against my bullies, but I'm fighting their bullies too. Oh, I see. So yes, I grew up in a family of, my family is Southern. So it was, nah, you, you just hit them. If somebody pushes you, you punch them harder. Yeah. You jump on them and you hit them till they stop. Yeah. And so that's how I grew up, but you can't teach your kids that anymore. Yeah. Because the modern world is not cavemanish like in the '80s,
0: right? Yeah, and as we, uh, you and I have talked about it, and I, you know, just sort of jumping ahead a little bit to Cobra Rakai, that uh, the, the threat that kids face today is so different. You know, it's not someone uh, pushing you up against the locker or meet me in the playground because schools are pretty aware of that being a threat and got that kind of locked down. Now did you go home and you get bullied on Facebook or uh in Cobra Kai, it was a throwback to the eighties where you still they were still having physical bullies and physical violence, like you're saying, but the kids today face something different.
2: Yeah, today's bullies are different because they can do the physical things at school, but then you can't get away from them because when you go home, if you're on Facebook or whatever, which is what the old people use, according to my daughter. Facebook. But yeah, Facebook's for old people. But anyways, they can still get you. By being online and making your life miserable. Right. And even though I'm very lighthearted and jovial most of the time, bullying is a subject that is very serious. Uh, Many kids struggle with bullies. So I I don't want people to think that I'm making fun of the situation in any way, shape, or form. But um, bullies suck and bullies deserve to be, put in their place. And today, as opposed to when we were kids, when we were kids, the the victim was told be stronger, learn to fight, right? And now they tend they do tend to focus a little more on the bully himself, like you can't do that. You know, you can't you can't do that to other kids, right. but they can't stop the cyberbullying outside of school. So, yes, very difficult, right? So that's that's a huge problem they have now. Like I said, not everyone's parents said punch him in the nose. Yeah, like my parents did.
0: Yeah, but even as you're saying, um, that's again a focus on the victim, um, right? Which you know, and I think studies show that for many kids that didn't work or doesn't work. You know, but in the '80s, that was so much the trope of you know that's all you got to do is like so revenge of the nerds and all the Karate Kids and so on and so on. Yeah, y- you said you you were told to fight and you, you had you were able to fight, um, so you didn't feel the need to learn martial arts like Daniel LaRusso?
2: No, I'm I'm a high-strung individual, and when I'm threatened, I'm like the mighty Wolverine. <laughs> 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 uh, and if you're told that, though, and you're just expected to do it, I mean, it's not like it was ever a question, like, should I do this? Yeah. It was just instantaneous, defend yeah. myself. Yeah, But for a lot of kids, they're not like that. Yeah. They're just not and they get beat up and they just try to say, I'll just go around the other way today.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, like I said, bullying sucks and it's a tough topic to talk about because for a lot of people, it ruins their lives.
0: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and uh, I had a little bit of different experience with my parents because they gave me the self-esteem not to be vulnerable to sort of the psychological threats. Like, I could never feel like you know, some people just get tormented and called names. That never bothered me, you know, because I understood that people's words didn't change who I really was. I got to decide that. But at the same time, my recollection is my father saying, you don't fight because you're going to get in trouble in school. <laughs> so don't fight. So I'd have all this pent up rage, you know, yeah. but I'd be, I was more scared of my father than any bully. So if it came down to you're going to fight, I was a guy running home to avoid a fight. So I can get home to be like, you told me not to fight. Now I'm home. You know, this is happening. And then I had some good friends that were much larger than me, and, you know, no one bothered me anymore after that. Right, there you uh, go. But it was mostly the psychological torture. But um, I know you talked to some uh, a karate um, master or, or teacher um, about yes. karate. Yes.
2: Actually, I talked to Paul, who is the son of Grandmaster Kim, who started Kim's College of Martial Arts in 1977. Well, And um, our conversation was actually... Everything I could have hoped for and more because he actually validates all my questions. So, you had a theory about the Karate Kid's
0: impact on martial arts. Yes. You to check uh, out.
2: My, my theory was is that um, at the time the movie came out, more kids joined up for karate because of bullying and wanting to defend themselves and not feel like a victim anymore. So, um, I asked him about that. I said, At the time the movie came out, do, did enrollment increase? And um, he, he actually, he's, I wish we could have got him on the show, but yep. this, is, this is what he said. I have it wrote down here for me. So um, this is what he said. The Karate Kid had a huge effect on enrollment during the 80s. Martial arts went through many changes during this time. During the 60s, the pioneers of our industry set a standard of tradition, but very few had the business acumen, desire, or the wherewithal to even continue the martial arts schools with a positive cash flow. But the ones who persisted excelled. In the 70s, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, and Kung Fu created an atmosphere that made martial arts popular. It became cool. Sadly, this led to many students learning very amazing techniques, but using it to look tough at bars, or just to start fights with others. The Karate Kid was a perfect solution to the misapprehension that had heretofore plagued the industry. Because of the Karate Kid, people started to realize that martial arts had a value beyond learning techniques. The concepts of self-defense became synonymous with karate. The karate kid gave us a missing link, culturally, that would blend.
0: Wow, that's a great answer. And so much packed in there. So so he confirmed, in fact, yes, more people came to karate in the 80s because of the karate kid and wanting to protect themselves, but also it helped move martial arts from a form that was being learned by bullies or to be used as bullies to folks who could defend themselves from bullies.
2: Right, yeah. He also, yeah, he did say that um, people were in droves coming to learn karate, and they stayed. It wasn't a quick kind of hit it and be gone hmm. with like our society is now today where things are so quick. Right. Like take, for example, the old man face thing on it's going around Facebook right now. Oh, yeah. Three weeks from now, nobody will remember that was ever there.
0: After the Russians have all the information they right. need. Right,
2: yeah. <laughs> they'll wrap it up. But uh, I did also throw this one at him just to be kind of quirky. I asked him if... Uh, If a lot of students asked to learn to sweep the leg or crane kick the first week they were in karate. And uh, this was his answer. Back in the 80s, no one would ask to learn to sweep the leg or learn how to do the crane kick. In the 80s, the masters came from Korea, mostly Korea at that time. They ruled their schools on an iron fist. If you spoke out of line at all, you were done. You wouldn't even want to ask that question. I'm sure some did, but then they'd have to spar the master for an hour and get choked out. <laughs> I'm sure it happened, but someone who was inspired by the Karate Kid and not an inflated sense of self would not even ask that. I would love to see someone forced to spar with a karate
0: master yeah. from or a martial arts master from Korea because he has to crane <laughs> <to laughs> kick somebody. Yeah. That would be great. So, and then, you know, sk- skipping ahead now, moving off from Karate Kid, like, can we talk about Cobra Kai now? Mm-hmm. So, and talking about bullies, so in the um, in the article that Dave Tomar, our guest later, wrote, and I didn't realize this until I read it, was that uh, Billy Zapka played a lot of bullies in the 80s. Uh, I could think of The Karate Kid, and I know it was um, Just One of the Guys. Just One of the Guys. There's one other. And um,
2: he was back to school. Back to school. The, which is another amazing 80s yeah. movie. If you haven't seen it, get that movie. And
0: it's just crazy, isn't it? But then when you skip ahead to Cobra Kai, so then this character of... Um, Johnny, um... Yes, Johnny Lawrence.
2: Sweep the Leg. Johnny. Yes.
0: Mr. Lawrence. Johnny Lawrence. Yes. That's That's <laughs> why I have to remember it. Martin Cove saying, do you have a problem with that, Mr. Lawrence? Yes. Um, Johnny Lawrence, now, it, the question... I, I like the Cobra Kai, because of its all, all of its homages to the original movie, but also because it now is questioning not necessarily who is bullying, who, who is victim, but sort of, I guess, in a sense, because now almost... Daniel seems... In the, he's, he's in the position of power. Um, Now we've got Johnny who's kind of beaten down and trying to rebuild his life and Danny's got the power who's still seeing a perceived threat of his former bullies trying to keep him down now. It's interesting how they played with all these sort of, I think, questions, I think. Maybe I read more into it than anything. And then skip to... I mean, we're just going to spoiler it all the way through <laughs> season two where now Johnny has more of a question of do you want to stick with the Cobra Kai mentality of you know strike first, strike hard, which is by definition, you know, sort of a bullying tactic, really. It's not self-defense, you know, it's offense. But they raise these interesting questions, but at the same time, they focus on bullies that don't exist anymore. So I don't imagine that karate uh, folks are flocking to karate schools today because of Cobra Kai, necessarily, because those aren't the bullies that are in the classrooms anymore.
2: That's an interesting thing you bring up there, because um, actually, Cobra Kai, he's, he's using the techniques he learned but he's teaching them to the kids who are getting picked on now. Which at a point he right. decides this is not the right way to do this, right? And in teaching them, a lot of them become the bullies, right? Then. He he. But his character is—it's such a well-written show. Yeah, it's so uh, the characters are just awesome and fun to watch, and it keeps you just going. Oh man, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So I like that, but yeah, um, Paul had this to say about Cobra Kai. I'd say Cobra Kai has some effect on our enrollment, but nothing compared to the sustained sustained rush of students that the Karate Kid brought. I know a few students that have said that they've watched the show and that inspired them to check us out, but there are many factors for that. In the 80s, there was no internet and more social cohesion. Everyone watched the same shows, the same sports, the same news, the same movies. So when The Karate Kid came out, everyone watched it. Nowadays, kids can choose from literally millions of things to occupy their time. That reminds me of another episode that
0: we have airing at some point, where we talked to our guest about that idea that um, in the 80s, it was easy to have these cultural moments or, or media that everybody watched, and it kept us together. And so we had sort of a more, a greater movement or effect. And today, yeah, you don't... It's so many choices that that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, my buddy at work just asked me about some show, and I'm like, I've never heard of that. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. You need to watch it. And I've already forgotten what it was because (laughs) I have so many other options to choose from. So now I have to go back and go, what was that show you wanted me to watch again? Also,
0: I think you mentioned this. You said how your daughter is not interested in Cobra Kai, and young people don't seem to be interested in it. And I think it's not only that they don't have the love of of the original Karate Kid, because it is a well-written show, but again, I feel like it's about characters that you'd see in an 80s film, but you don't have in schools today necessarily because, like you said, folks are getting bullied on Facebook and other media. And so a show about that, you know, like 13 uh, 13 Reasons Reasons Why, I think is a movie about someone who unfortunately commits suicide as a result of, I think, cyberbullying. But so Cobra Kai doesn't really talk about, doesn't show his contemporary bullies, I guess.
2: I think they wanted to keep the show light, And not go down such a dark path with it. The path I'm taking this episode. Well, no, I'm just saying, though, they want it to be more like the Karate Kid. But unfortunately, in today's society, that's kind of tough. Yeah. If you go down the rabbit hole with cyberbullying on that show, it's going to get dark real fast. And for a lot of people, cyberbullying is even worse. Oh, sure. Than just getting pushed around to school.
0: Yeah. So I think ultimately the thesis of this episode, if we're ever te- if we're able to tease one out of a very special episode, <laughs> is that maybe it's more than it's bigger than pop culture, but that it was easier or better in a sense to be a kid. It was terrible for lots of reasons, and maybe even bullying, but we were able to escape it. We knew under we we had ways of I guess dealing with or insulating ourselves that you kids don't have today.
2: Yes, that's um, that's a good point. Like I said, this topic sucks. Um, <laughs> This episode will never be aired. Nah, it'll be aired, but like I said, um, for a lot of people, bullying led to suicide, Yeah, and that didn't start in the 80s, it hasn't stopped today, and if anyone out there, if you're in high school right now, the only thing I can tell you is high school ends, and just make your way through it, and then life is yours, and the bullies can't. Hurt you anymore. They can't really hurt you in high school, but you're in such a fragile state that you need someone to say, push through it yeah. and just get out of high school, and then life is yours.
0: And to, to your point, to, any, to the extent anybody needs any resources on this subject, um, Dave Tumar and his uh, organization, Best Schools, has a number of them that we ha- will have on our uh, website as of the airing of this episode. Um, Cobra Kai. I love it because it is that homage and I'm very glad to know. And just, I guess to get things, make things a little bit lighter real quick is that super successful. Um, the first episode of the, uh, first season had over 50 million views. And then the second episode, second season, the first episode had more views when it aired than any other premiere of a second season across all streaming platforms. So Handmaid's Tale, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Atlanta all during the same period. Um, had fewer uh, viewers. Episode one of the second season had 20 million views in six days, which says it made it the fastest YouTube uh, episode to hit that in that amount of t- hit 20 million views, period. So season three has already been greenlit and we'll see that in 2020. That's
2: awesome. Uh, Zapka is an amazing actor who should have, I wish, would have done more movies. Since, in between, yeah. Yeah, in between because he's done a great job with this. And I forget who the creators of this show were. I, I did look it up because I
0: couldn't remember. When I say it, you'll remember. So it, it's it's by two folks, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, who were friends were friends in high school, and grew up to create the Harold and Kumar movies.
2: Yeah, now I know. remember.
0: And they yeah. also uh, another friend of theirs, a Josh. Healed or Held, I'm not sure how to say his name, who wrote Hot Tub Time Machine, the three of them. Yes, it.
2: it's all coming back to me now.
0: So and they, it seems like they've all been friends for a long time, and they're in their early 40s, so they're younger than we are, but still, I guess, considered uh, generation. But that's X.
2: that in itself is a great story, that they all went to school together, and they're still friends in their 40s. So now let's
0: take a listen to the interview I did with Dave Tomar earlier today. Unfortunately, you were not able to join me for that, right? No. But you'll hear it now along with our listener, and... Come back with me at the end to wrap up. Hey, everybody, this is Will. A quick show note. If you or anyone you know is struggling with a bully, whether it be in elementary school, high school, college, or at work, there are plenty of resources for you, and they're available at thebestschools.org. You can go straight to that website and search for bullying, or you can visit theadiotspod.com, where we have those listed in our show notes. And now, here's my interview with Dave Tomar. 2010, our next guest achieved overnight renown with his article, The Shadow Scholar. Writing under the pseudonym Ed Dante, he gave an insider's view of the workings of the college term paper for higher industry, exposing massive fraud on America's college campuses. Today, he is the chief magazine editor for The Quad, a publication of TheBestSchools.org, an organization dedicated to providing the best resources and advice to students through every step of their education, into their careers, and toward sustainable, lifelong learning. You can find out more about them and our guest at TheBestSchools.org. Please welcome Dave Tomar.
1: How are you? Uh, It's great to be here. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Will.
0: What what drew my attention to you, as you know, is you you wrote a piece for for Best Schools, and uh, what I thought was interesting and unique was that you, you spoke about bullying in the context of the 1980s as compared to today, and also in that discussion pulled in um, media from, from the 1980s that really resonated with me and that I hadn't really thought about too much until I read your article. Um, so I thought maybe we, we, we should start there, much like your article does, in the 1980s. Uh, so what was the archetype of a bully then? Let's start there. How about that?
1: Uh, sure. Well, uh, I'll tell you first what, what drew me to writing about the 1980s um, a, I was a child of the '80s, so certainly, uh, and and one that you know, as, as a sort of smaller kid, I was picked on a little bit, and you know, like I think a lot of kids go through that in elementary school, and it's not a totally out of the ordinary experience. Right. Uh, and because it's not a totally out of the ordinary experience, it was an enormous archetype in films of the time. You know, the the brat pack and all of those those teen exploitation movies of the '80s. Uh, You know, you you didn't have too many choices for a compelling and relatable bully. It was either a a, a jerk principal or it was the the traditional high school bully uh, who was at the time usually somebody who was large and physically imposing, maybe had some athletic prowess. Uh, probably had kind of cool hair, you know, uh, and you know maybe wrapped a sweater around of their course. shoulders when they were on a regatta, <laughs> and which of course means that in most cases they were also uh, pretty wealthy, which was you know they, a trait in the nineteen eighties that depending on which side you were of the coin was either a very attractive and appealing figure or somebody that you reviled. Uh, so that, that drew me to the eighties, uh, especially because. Um, you know, not only was that such a big archetype then, but in a lot of ways, it's starting to feel like a relic.
0: Yeah, yes. And I do want to talk to you about that um, as we go on here. And in particular, use uh, I think that a good sort of template is what happened with the Karate Kid in 1984 versus... Cobra Kai, the, the, the sequel series on YouTube now. What happened with that show and what didn't happen with that show? We could talk about that more. Um, you know, it's interesting you point out the archetype of the 1980s bullying film, and you're right, I agree, certainly it seems, and I know as your studies, your research has shown most, many people get bullied, unfortunately, um, and I was bullied as well but you know the school I went to everybody was relatively lower middle class you know at best you were middle class middle middle class Um, so we didn't have the sweaters uh, you know no one had a no one had a book but but still that that other than that you're right that that archetype persisted most often the 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 person who's the, the strongest and um and usually, and as you point out in your article too, it's often folks, as you know, surprises, people that are getting bullied themselves in one way or another or otherwise feel uh, powerless.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the key features of bullying that when you do a little bit of research, you know, uh, it's really about unequal power dynamics, which in the 80s, it was reflected with this, you know, the physical imposition of a bully, um, you know, over time, what, you know, manifests power dynamics is evolved and changed and there are a lot of different ways to sort of exhibit that power and, and so that was again in, you know in the 80s the fact that you know wealth was often a big feature you know are you always dealing with the wealthy fully no but it certainly reflects that unequal power dynamic uh you know i think karate kid really you know that's that's one where you see that you know i think always of that scene where you know daniel's trying to start his car and you know his mother's pushing it he's going on gate. and gate right you know, all, all of it really captures you know why maybe he was he, he felt like he could be victimized by an unequal power dynamic
0: right and you know consistent again with the 1980s the uh, again so as you're saying sort of uh, these notions that have are maybe bygone now is the idea that uh in in those films, and as in life, we were told uh, to just stand up to the bully. Correct. And the focus was on the victim. It was the vic- It was incumbent upon the victim to address the issue. Um, just be braver. Just be tougher. You know, Karate Kid. Obviously, he learns martial arts in in self defense. You know, he's, he's taught, but uh, ultimately needs to use it. Um, I'm not sure that that was. Obviously, we're learning now that that probably was never a solution but um even then it doesn't seem like it was interestingly though we did speak with a uh, a gentleman who owned a karate studio since that time and he said enrollment you know went, went through the roof was was up significantly when the, after the karate kid uh, came out of course sure but um i don't recall that working then no. standing up to a bar. well
1: you know another thing that drew me to uh, this archetype of the 1980s and and you know where the line is Sort of drawn chronologically, so that advice—stand up for yourself—it's very native advice, and it's a you know sort of a platitude that you can give from a distance. Uh, But one thing it really reflects is that there was little to no formal research on bullying at the time. So the the thing about the uh, archetype in the uh, '80s film is, it's sort of our best template for understanding how bullies were perceived at the time, and you know, what their impact was believed to be. And, and so, so it always, you know, manifested as, you know, something humorous and and also something that could be conquered with pluck and spirit and having an audience rooting for you. Um, but of course, you know, in real life, it's usually the bully that has the social structure behind he or she, and that's what allows them to behave that way. Uh, so, but you, you know, uh, not to jump too far ahead, but, uh, You know, in in the article that I think caught your attention, one of the, in my research, what I found was really the turning point was the Columbine Massacre in 1999 and this evolving conversation of what the consequences of bullying might be, uh, that the perpetrators of this massacre were possibly uh, victims of bullying that that reached the extremes of torment. Uh, And then you start to see that bullying is not such a laughing matter that it's a genuine problem uh, for public health and social safety and and all these things, uh, that led to a flurry of research and we sort of understand that these unequal power dynamics are really at play here. And, you know, with all the advice to stand up for yourself, the victim may feel helpless nonetheless.
0: Right. And I remember you pointed out in that article that, um, you know, certainly, uh, it, it beca- following the Columbine, the tragedy at Columbine, pe- people just began to say it's not just okay to write this off as a rite of passage, bullying, that is. Um, and the focus switched from what was happening with the victim to what the responsibility of the bullies were. Um, this is a certainly more, you know somber and sober topic than we usually talk about, but an important one, I've got two kids that...
1: Well, if we can lighten things up, I spent most of the morning listening to Huey Lewis in preparation.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yes, that's certainly, uh, yes, a throwback to the 1980s. Um, but um, it's it's an important conversation, and one of the things you know when we talk about 80s pop culture and pop culture today is, because, you know, again, that's sort of the premise of the show is uh, I, I don't as an artist, you know, your hope is that your, your uh, work has some kind of impact, uh influence. I'm not sure to what effect, you know, I don't know, if there's been ever any studies measuring what the effect of any particular art is on, you know, changing a particular culture. I'm sure there, there, there probably is. But focusing on bullying, uh, you know, the movies of the 80s taught us lessons that maybe we shouldn't have been learning this idea that, you know, study karate and you'll be able to uh vanquish your foes and you know get the self-esteem you need to move on um to today where uh, i'm not sure I'm, I'm just learning how bullying is portrayed in the, in the media today and uh, we are getting some uh do you, do you have a sense for it versus the 80s
1: well you know i i think that now it's you know if this is even a little bit of a throwback past the 80s but you know i think of um, you know something like uh, Mean Girls or Intolerable Cruelty and that sort of thing, and um, those are films you know from the 90s and the 2000s where the conversation began to turn to the power to use gossip and social structures and public humiliation as a way to to uh, take advantage of that power dynamic. Right, and when you see that sort of evolving look of the bully. We begin to move away from this idea that a bully must be large or physically imposing or that bullying only takes the form of physical violence and confrontation. And this is a really important differentiator now because bullying has, thanks to web development and social media and all these things, uh, it is all encompassing now. uh, That if you are the target and victim of bullying, there are no borders beyond, you know, that, that can stop this bullying beyond the classroom or beyond the hallway or the playground, that it can seep into your personal life, it can become a very public thing, and it is largely driven verbally or by you know social disgrace or humiliation, and uh, that is a very different kind of bully, and one that doesn't have to have all the Features that we tended to see in the cinematic representations of the '80s. Yeah,
0: and you—you remind me of something in your article also that really struck a chord with me was the idea that uh, you could escape bullying in the 1980s. That uh, even if you were tormented at school, you you uh, could—you found you know safety and solace. and being home and knew that ultimately you could go home and be safe. I remember being chased by bullies uh, all the way home once. And as soon as I got in my gate and closed the gate, they you know wandered off as if that was, you know, they understood that was sort of the rule of uh, some sort of unspoken uh, rule between bully and victim. But now, yeah, absolutely, you can't escape it.
1: You know, there's a way that the adult can intervene or that there are certain borders beyond which the laws of the schoolyard no longer apply um, and, uh, you know, I, I think about that in the eighties also, that that was, that was generally my experience. And not only was it that, you know, when school was over, when you got home, there was some security from that, but there was also a separate world in which, you know, your family or maybe your your camp friends or a group of people you knew from another town, they didn't see you in this light. And you... You know, you could go to these other places and, and have a different social structure where bullying wasn't such a presence. Well, now, say you have a, a social media network that includes all of the people in all the circles of your life. And if somebody decides to make you the victim of a public humiliation on social media, it is there for everybody to see in every part of your life. Yeah,
0: that, that's terrifying. That's terrifying to me, for myself, and, and in particular for my children. But y- y- as
1: As a parent, it is troubling. Yeah
0: and uh, you know i i do my best and we've done my done our best as parents uh, to prepare our children for bullying just generally you know as my parents prepared me and i felt immune from the sort of psychological bullying at school, you know, the name calling and the taunting, I felt immune to that. I had enough self-esteem and uh, self-awareness to understand that someone else couldn't define me. And I've I've tried to impart that to my children, but you're right. There's, there's no way to prepare someone in for having, you know, photos uh, or whether they're actual photos or doctored photos or information dropped on the internet that lasts forever. I don't know how I would deal with that personally as an adult. If someone were to do that to me, spread some kind of false information, it would be devastating.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I think the thing that for us children of the eighties too, that is exceptionally difficult to relate to is that this world of social media is as real and consequential to the social status and structure and, and feeling of inclusion or exclusion for children today, as was our experience in a cafeteria or playground. So when you become a victim of bullying in any capacity, whether it's humiliation or you know, just this a constant barrage of online abuse, you know, it's this way of creating this encompassing world that matters to you and your peer group where you cannot feel safe or welcome or wanted. Uh, and so the the psychological warfare is such a greater factor today than it was when we were younger. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at those 80s bullies and they were sort of, you know, they, they they had simple and very predictable and understandable motives. And in a lot of ways, that's probably what made it easy for the the small, plucky hero to stand up to them. You know, but it's... Uh, something more anonymous and larger and more encompassing and harder to tack down, uh, you know, when you're dealing with this sort of virtual threat.
0: Right. And, um, you know, you said something about uh, that uh, as, as parents, we need to, in children of the 80s, we need to understand that the threat is different now. And taking it back to media, um you know i'm not sure to to the extent that we reflected bullies in the 80s and they seem like they were you know so many films uh, 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 telling that that trope over and over again that we have that now mm-hmm. and whether or not it's addressing it in a uh, realistic way and i know we you know the film on, on netflix now 13 reasons why mm-hmm. my understanding is I, I haven't watched it but it does a, a good job of at least explaining from the perspective of the victim these are the reasons that led me to take my own life that would get, could give a perspective on a parent that and adults, just generally, the impact of that type of psychological abuse, you know, via social media, um, what it could lead to. But, you know, going back to, to Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, I don't know if you saw that. Did you see the sequel? Uh,
1: I, I hadn't, and, you know, in preparing for okay. our conversation, I started to realize how much I wanted to watch
0: it. You know, it's if you liked Karate Kid, it's really excellent, um, because it's a lot of homages to things that we, you know, liked when we, we saw it as, as kids. Um, and, but, and so there's so much to enjoy and there's so many, what, what's interesting and, and relevant to our conversation is how they, uh, address this question again of bully. Because when you watch the story, you know, slight spoiler alert, very early on, there's a question of, well, who was really the bully in the Karate kid event? Mm-hmm. you know, because now Billy Zapka, who you point out played, you know, bullies in like 80% of the films in the eighties. That's right is somewhat of a victim of what happened to him in the 80s. You know, his life went in a direction that, uh, you know, is somewhat tragic for him now, and he's wrestling with that, whereas Daniel's character is very successful. Um, and so they raise these questions in different ways and show us different ways that even adults can still be bullied, et cetera, et cetera. But I, what I think of one of the overall failings of the, of the show is the fact that the bullying is still mostly v- is from physical violence, there's some small element where some character is, they attempt to shame some character um, through a video or something online. But the, even he resorts ultimately to violence to address this. So, you know, I feel like this was a program that, my understanding, it was, it was the uh, brainchild of, you know, uh, sort of uh, folks that are younger than me. I'm sure you're younger than me because I'm, you know, a middle-aged man at this point. But even younger than that, in the sense that they loved to Kid and wanted to bring it back. Um, And maybe it is folks that are my age, actually, I should probably look that up, but still missing the point, you know, so taking, really raising these new questions of, well, who's really a bully and who's a victim? And how do we how do they get there? And how do we get them out of here? Out of that situation to missing it completely by focusing again on the 80s threat, which is, you know, physical violence.
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of adults uh, are still not totally do not have a full grasp on how real social media bullying is. And perhaps if you were a child of the eighties, where, you know, getting uh, pushed up against the locker felt very real. You may have the perception that the things that happen on the internet, that we just need to be tougher about them. Uh, obviously that's, you know, a dramatic oversimplification and the research that we now have suggests, well, the, of the research has evolved the ability of people to bully um, has only evolved further and faster
0: i noticed i think in your you you comment on the research that um, it's not that folks are getting bullied more it's just more pervasive it's ubiquitous you can't escape it
1: correct you know and and, um well you know my research predates the the full scope of the donald trump presidency and you know there's plenty of evidence that that has had uh you know a, a an effect on stimulating greater cultural acceptance of bullying. Right. Uh, when you have such a powerful example that engages in tactics that we understand as classic 80s tactics of bullying mixed with this sort of modern online taunting and constant trolling form of bullying. Uh, so when you see something like that, uh, you know, you uh, realize how much, how directly, uh, your culture can sort of shape the nature of bullying. Uh, you know, in other words, if bullying is human nature. We're hierarchical in nature, and you know, just like many other animals in the animal kingdom, we you know, we we parry for advantage. And you know, those of us who bring psychic problems into that uh, competition, you know, we may engage in less empathetic and crueler tactics. You know, but these these are human nature things there is a cultural aspect where the things that your culture and the authorities in your culture deem as acceptable behaviors then begin to permeate the culture, uh, and that's something that we're seeing a lot of right now.
0: Right, and the and the challenge I imagine is that uh, you know just the microcosms of culture within a within a household, you know, provided it's it's going it's hard to break past that. So if you've got a, a family where um, adults are bullying children psychologically or physically, obviously bullying is accepted within that household. So how do you now train a child within that household that bullying is not appropriate?
1: Yeah, now that's that's exactly the point because you know, we can't put, you know, we can't close Pandora's box and we can't change social media and how important that social structure is to children. Uh, And based on the evidence from the 80s and going back to the 50s, you know, I love Biff Tannen as a character because he's the classic teenage high school bully in the fifties. And then he's a classic adult workplace bully in (laughs) in the eighties. And then as a grandfather in the (laughs) version of 2015, where people have flying cars, (laughs) he's a jerk grandpa with people with his cage, you know, and that archetype, uh, you know, that, that never really goes away. Um, You know, but at, at the end of the day, whether bullying is a permanent part of our nature or not, we have the ability to raise children who are kind and compassionate and accepting and courageous on the behalf of others. And that's, you know, it's not something, it's not a solution that we can just uh, author into our DNA, but it is something that we need to do as a culture. If if, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to close the internet down, you know, Uh, but the way that we choose to engage each other um, the way that we feel safety in that distance to be cruel to one another, it's the instinct to be cruel that we need to teach away from. Uh, you know, I, I, I worry that this is a cultural moment where we're not moving in a positive direction. Um, you know, but, uh, that's, that's to me the only way.
0: Agreed. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yeah. And, and, and as you point out, you know, uh, we can't be unplugged. So, to the extent that adults say, "Well, hey, um, my child just won't have Facebook or Twitter," um, ultimately, that's not a solution, and it's really akin to standing up to the bully in a sense that uh, it's it's a answer to you know the wrong problem, I suppose.
1: Well, the bully has the bully has strength in numbers, and you know the one thing that remains true from the bully of the eighties archetype uh, to the online bully is the the nameless flunkies that stand behind you and give you the social power to shame, humiliate, debase abuse others uh, you know so if the power of numbers was on the side of the of the good, the courageous, the empathetic, you know the sympathetic, the supportive. Uh, it would be a lot harder for a bully to grandstand.
0: Yeah, and you point out in your article how Biff had his, you know, uh, yes-men surrounding him, even when he used uh, phrases incorrectly, you know, just showing, again, his, his power, their unwillingness to challenge him. Right. And, and folks, now you, you post something negative about somebody who can get a 1,000 likes on, on Twitter or, or Facebook.
1: Well, you know, it's um, I, I didn't, didn't know it at the time, but it is not a coincidence that Biff in of Back to the Future 2 Shares a lot of features in common with Donald Trump, um, yes. who, who absolutely engages in those tactics. And no matter how many uh, falsehoods you hear that are at the expense of others, he has a large enough support of unshakable base that gives him the power to do that. Um, you know, so it's a very. Really, uh, it's become a very uh, sort of federalized form of bullying.
0: Yes, and just so no one questions that you're drawing this comparison, or, or certainly one could anyway. But the writers confirmed that that was their Correct. inspiration, including some of the Absolutely images, agreed. even in the film of, for example, his portrait, the giant portrait he had of himself uh, behind his desk.
1: Sure, and the you know the '80s casino magnate figure that they cut uh, for Biff Tannen in, in that second movie, right? You know, was was pulled from the tabloid headlines.
0: So, wow, I'm more bummed out than I I thought I would be. Um, (laughs) And in particular, because uh, I don't, I understand, I guess, intellectually what we're discussing of the solutions. I mean, but ultimately, it sounds like we need to teach more people to be empathetic. And I think that's, you know, a lack of empathy seems to be, you know, to your point about uh, sort of social, cultural, or political challenges we have, it seems like a lack of empathy is a. It, it you know, bleeds into so much of it. And I don't know. And I was trying, I was beginning to research this recently, whether or not you can teach someone to be empathetic. And, um, it, it seems like folks have conversions when something happens to them, you know, they're against something until they realize that it affects them. And now they're for it, you know, that sort of thing. It's,
1: it's amazing how, uh, in a lot of ways, and this stays a little bit from bullying, Um, And just more to a general conversation of culture, but we've become isolated in our ideological silos, and people find it difficult to be empathetic towards people that fall outside of those silos, um, as though your ideology somehow puts you in opposition to somebody else's very state of being, and therefore you deserve the cruelty that's visited upon you.
0: So you know, now I'm back to being hopeful because it seems to me, you know, a possible solution in, in making people empathetic and getting them out of their silos is sort of how I try to live my life in a sense is by not um, cutting folks completely out of my life, that have ideological differences. Um, there may be you know, certain uh, parameters we need to have, but otherwise we can be social and even have friendly discussions about these things so we can slowly learn from one another that we are not a threat to each other. We have far more in common than we do, uh, you know, uh, that we don't, and have a greater interest in advancing one another's interests.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's true. And at the end of the day, if we can find ways to engage each other in our everyday lives that don't have to involve these broader ideological conversations and concerns, it becomes a lot easier to just see somebody else as a human being. You know, uh, I, I find it really useful to try to be a little kinder and more patient to people in traffic, a little less rude to the person who uh, calls me with a tele, you know, telemarketing call during dinner. <laughs> or whatever, just just because I don't know this person. I don't know what their challenges have been or what their beliefs are. Let's just treat each other as human beings and start there.
0: Absolutely. You're right. I'm reminded when someone passes me on the road, breaking the speed limit by 15 miles an hour, I imagine, you know, they may have a an emergency to get to,
1: yeah, you know, I live in the city that's not always your first instance <laughs> but, uh, with, with some with yeah. some practice you know
0: yeah i so say i'm I'm originally from New Jersey, so driving in New Jersey and New York, you had to drive the safest way to drive was to drive like everyone else, which is
1: oh yeah, they they teach you there, and I also got my license in New Jersey to drive defensively, but yes. uh, that's a lot like saying stand up for yourself,
0: oh okay, wow, we're back to that again <laughs> um, so and <laughs> wrapping up uh Dave um. I'm gonna. We'll provide uh, your your uh, best best schools, as I mentioned, provides a number of different resources uh, in, in connection with what we're talking about and, and ways to help become more aware and help uh, address the larger problem of, of bullying, um,
1: and especially in the context of higher education where it's it's not often discussed. But you know, there's again, there's another environment where it's become an issue more of. virtual bullying and technology-mediated bullying, because it's not that same hallway, cafeteria, social structure, uh, but it does happen.
0: Right. Good point. You know, and you remind me that uh, I I can think now off the top of my head of instances of being bullied when I was in college. That's true. Absolutely. I think it was easier for me to dismiss it at the time, because I, again, sort of how I was raised, um, and I felt no physical threat. But um, again, uh, some clever folks today could make my life a lot more difficult in spite of my you know self-esteem Sure. well, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us today. Our, this conversation was certainly enlightening. Um, I want to say mildly encouraging, <laughs> although I, <laughs> the challenge is large, but I think much like we're talking about today, we have people have to have these conversations in order to become aware of what we're up against uh, in order to further be able to address it.
1: Absolutely, and well, you know, maybe we'll uh, speak again. in a little bit of time has passed, and we're feeling more optimistic about where we're headed.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: Thanks, Dave. Wonderful. Thank you for having me, Will.
0: Okay, Ray, so now that you've heard my interview with Dave Tomar, how do you think we did?
2: I think we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the 80s movie bully was way more beatable than the bullies in any other decades movies.
0: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I would agree with you because uh, to the extent that media today is portraying bullies accurately, the bullies today seem harder to beat in real life. So I agree. They're,
2: they're They're no biff.
0: Yeah, this is one of those. One of the, this is maybe one of the rare times that I'd want to be able to go back to the 80s in the very least so maybe take some teenagers with us to <laughs> save them from you. Let's just leave it at that. I'll talk. To you, I'll talk to you next time on the 80s. See
1: ya.